0: Better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
1: Hi folks, this is Jack Smirka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Friday, June twenty second, two 2012, and this is episode 928 of the Survival Podcast. And even though it's Friday and we're supposed to do a listener call-in show, today's show's actually going to be on Ham Radio with Tim Glantz. Um, I'm going to tell you guys something. I, I'm i worried about myself this morning. So I get an email from Tim, and he's like, uh, how'd the show go that we did? And I went and went great. We had good feedback from it. And I really believed that when I said it. And then he says, oh, I didn't see it pop up, and uh, I want to make sure I answer any questions. And uh, uh, where is it? So I thought, what's wrong with you, dude? Just go to the site. It was last week, you know, and... I went to the site, and I never ran the show. Uh, I never recorded the intro for the show. I never produced it in its final version and put it up. I just had the the interview recorded, and it's been sitting in my file folder, and it was supposed to run, I guess, early this week. I I don't know how I did that. Uh, Maybe it's because I got all of this stuff out of uh, of gear with the... uh, With the listener feedback shows and all. Uh, So I've made a decision. We're just going to go forward Monday with a normal feedback show. The next listener call show will probably be Friday. I might squeeze one in the middle of the week, but we're going to go back to the normal format. I got jumbled up with working Jeff Lawton in. And uh, I think that caused this confusion. I hope it did, because otherwise there's something wrong with my mind. I have, I've burnt a brain cell somewhere that's not firing properly to its synapse anymore. Uh, because, again, I really believe it happens. I guess anybody can forget things, but, guys, I'm, I'm only 40. I forgot something else, too. Uh, kind of a different uh, intro segment today, but eh, it's a different day, right? So um, we just had our fourth anniversary. Uh, I had a listener, Roundabouts, who, who most of you guys know from the forum and the blog, who's a great member of our community. And her husband got in touch with me and said she really loves your show and you you guys have meant a lot to us as far as, as our, at our home and our homestead and our life. And I would really appreciate it if you would call her on her birthday, which was the 20th, which I also forgot and called her on the 21st. as a day late. And then she reminded me of something. The reason that she was so excited that it was her birthday, it was also the anniversary of Survival Podcast. So since I've been focused so much on Episode 1000 as kind of our landmark event, I didn't realize that a couple days ago – the Survival Podcast turned four years old. Four years ago, uh, in a couple days, I got a little microphone and I got a little recorder and I climbed into the jet and I did episode one of the Survival Podcast, which I think today was absolutely horrible. Uh, within a couple weeks, I think it got a lot better, but the first week was really, really rough, really, really horrible, and I was just figuring out what I was doing. And Four years later, 45,000 people a day listen to this show. Um. I needed to say something about that because that's pretty special, and it's not about me. It's about you guys, and I just want today to take a moment to tell you guys thank you. Thank you so much for everything you've done to help grow this show, all the people you've told about it, uh, and all the changes you guys have made in your lives. And On that note, please, I need more of you guys to call in for me. To, uh, to the the 800 number that I set up for Episode 1000. And you can listen to Episode 550 or the one-year anniversary show to see the type of call to make. And uh, the number for that is not the think line. It's 866 691 Five three five three i 'll put a post out about it today again i'll start putting it maybe in the uh, in the show notes as well at the tagline to help you guys with the number, but I need a lot more people to call in. We probably only have about twenty calls right now today 's episode nine hundred and twenty eight guys that means that we 're seventy two episodes away from episode one thousand that's that's just absolutely absolutely awesome, and I want you guys to be part of it so uh, for four years of some of the most amazing changes in my life. Four years of, of finally feeling like I'm doing something that really benefits people instead of just myself. For four years of that, thank you to each and every one of you. From those of you who have picked today as the very first day that you're going to listen to a show, to those of you who have been with me since I was yelling at ass Clowns in the car, uh, hauling ass down the tollway in LBJ in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Thank you for being part of this show. Uh, let's get on with the rest of the housekeeping today uh, Let's take care of our sponsors of course Sponsor of the day number one Silverandgoldshop.com The wonderful Mary Beth, Maid- Ma- Mary Beth Maidmont Check out her site Again it's silverandgoldshop.com For some really cool silver rounds Great stuff available there Really interesting stuff available there Often products that you just won't find anywhere else Like the original Tea Party silver coins Now in a divisible format Check them out and uh, remember, those buying those coins, I think you get like a dollar off a coin, which is not a lot. But in silver, there's not really very big margins. If you're an MSB member, you can check your benefits section for that. Next up today, ShelfReliance.com. ShelfReliance specializes in innovative food storage solutions, custom-made racks that allow you to eat what you store and store what you eat by rotating your canned food automatically for you. From large products like the Harvest 72, which can hold about a half a ton of food, uh, to smaller product products like their Consolidator product that fit in your pantry or your cupboard, and just about everything you can imagine in between. Also, the Thrive brand of long-term storage food. That's their official brand of food, and it's probably the best tasting and the most variety I've ever found in uh, properly packaged long-term storables. Check them out today at shelfreliance.com. Next up, remember, you can check out tspcopper.com for some really cool copper coins that are also AOCS barter currency and let you share the word about things like the Survival Podcast. Ron Paul, we even have a cool one for you beekeepers with the honeypot coin. Uh, the physical representation of the Bitcoin. There's just some cool stuff there. The Lakota Sioux coins are awesome. Check them out today and they're very, very affordable. They're about 30 bucks for a roll of 20. Uh, each is one ounce of, uh, of of pure 999 pure copper. And uh, they're just really cool, and it's an easy way to be able to share uh, what you want other people to know about and give them something that's really cool without breaking the bank. And, of course, if you buy more than one roll, you start getting discounts. And MSP members, you get 10% off all TSP, copper, uh, all TSP copper purchases. Well, all TSP purchases, all, co- all copper purchases, because we're about to put some silver on there, and we won't be able to do 10% on that. Uh, next up, remember, you can support the show by joining the Member Support Brigade. If you're Military Law Enforcement Peace Corps, active duty or prior service, uh, or other first responders, email me before you join. I'll send you a special discount code. Just tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did and put service discount or military discount in the subject line. That will make sure that I see it and gets past my screening and uh, I get a chance to respond to you with your discount code. With that all wrapped up, it's my good fortune now to introduce Mr. Tim Glance, also known as Old Grouch from Old Grouch Military Surplus. Not only is he a member of our expert council, and really, really switched on because he's a, a chief warrant officer in the garden, has been for many years uh, as a sixth through whiskey, which is the the general mechanic, third level mechanic uh, MOS. Uh, and he's been on and done great stuff with us before about military vehicles and bug-out vehicles. He's also a ham, and I would call him an expert ham as far as I'm concerned with the amount of knowledge and information he has on communications in general. He's here today to talk to us about amateur radio, also called ham radio, and scanners and some other cool stuff. And uh, without further ado, and even though it's about a week late, hey, Tim, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man.
0: Thanks, Jack. Great to be on again. I think your last episode you
1: did we talked about bug out vehicles and survival vehicles and prep vehicles was one of the most popular ones we've ever done, so I'm glad to have you back and this time the long awaited episode on uh ham radio technology, so I'm glad you're back to do that with us today.
0: I'm excited about it there yeah there's a lot there's a lot of stuff on there that we can uh we can go through
1: well and people have been on me to do it forever, you know, and it's like I, I I'd say, anybody that really knows their stuff on this, let me know you want to be on the show, and then I'd hear from nobody. And then then you said, I'll do it, and we booked you. And then, like, 20 people are like, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'm like, too late. We've already got it set up, and, you know, maybe we'll do another one after, because I'm sure there's a lot of stuff to go into. But I didn't want too much overlap. But one of the things you were telling me, and I've seen in your notes you prepared to help get today's show off, uh, started off with, is that while ham radio is really a great technology and something you, you, you're you really excited about, one of the most important things that a person can just make part of their prep communications right away is a scanner or a receiver. Uh, so if you're that jazzed up for ham, why do you feel you know the scanner or receiver is maybe the, 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 the place to start for people today,
0: like now? Well, Jack, my experience is that when it comes to prep stuff and emergencies, um, listening is 80 to 90% of what you need to do. And if you've got that scanner receiver, you've got situational awareness where you're listening to the local fire, police, and EMS, and you know what's going around on around you in real time. You're not waiting for other news reports. And if you know that, you've got a lot of it covered. Um, some of the examples, uh, my store is about 100 yards from a river that floods occasionally, and I can listen to the scanner when I'm at home and hear the local first responders as they check on the water levels and say, it's up here, it's up here. And I know if I have to go check on it or not. Or a few winters ago, we had some really bad snowstorms here in the mountains of North Carolina. And I could get on the in the car on the way home, turn on the scanner, and listen. And I knew which roads were blocked from traffic from ICE and which ones were blocked by accidents. And I was able to get home on nights when a lot of people were stuck on I-40 overnight because the traffic was blocked up. And both of those are, are great advantages. And, and the other last one is... Um, And a lot of people don't think about this, but if times get really bad and people are out there trying to do harm, a lot of them are going to pick up some of the more inexpensive radios, be they MURs or FRS, and use those as they go around trying to do people harm, basically. And if you've got those frequencies programmed in a scanner and somebody's out doing something, you're going to hear them talking about it. And even if they don't mean you harm or if they're out doing something else, you'll still know that they're in your area and you'll have that situational awareness. A uh, good example of that is a lot of the hunters and a lot of the poachers around here have taken to using uh, marine radios in their cars, which isn't legal. But uh, So all the game wardens did was put the marine frequencies in their scanners, and now these guys th- <laughs> think they're sneaking around, and the game wardens are listening to everything they say.
1: You know, and th- the sad thing is a cell phone would get around all of that, and those people just aren't smart enough to figure it out. I. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, where they're going, there's really no cell code. Oh,
1: I got you. So they're out there with they have to use some kind of a Well, in that case, they'd probably be better off with a walkie-talkie because the limited range would be an advantage. But there is a reason we have a show called Stupid Criminals, and uh, it's a good thing that I think a lot of them are kind of dumb. Uh, but when we look for a scanner, what are we looking for in a scanner? How do we, like, you know, you mentioned programming these signals in. How hard is that? Are some of them easier to work with than others? Are there certain areas where you might want one over another?
0: Uh, yeah, well, the biggest thing is you need one that's compatible with what's in your area where you plan to use it, uh, what you want to listen to. Um, some areas are still, like mine, we're a rural area. We don't have a com- complicated radio system. There are some systems called trunking, which basically computer controls the radio channels so that they can get more users on less frequencies, and some are digital trunking where they uh, actually encode uh, the transmission in a digital format, uh, not unlike actually this podcast that actually goes out on an MPEG. It uses a, a codec like that over the air, and so you need to know what you need for your local area. If you've got the money, I suggest buying one that does digital and trunking because if they upgrade, then it still works, but you can go to uh, great resources, a website called radioreference.com. And you go there, and they've actually got a database that shows every frequency for every county in the nation. And you can look and see what it takes. And if you're still not sure, they have a local forum for every state where you can pop up and say, hey, I'm new to using a scanner. I live in this place. Uh, Can you make some recommendations? And you'll probably not only get some recommendations, you might very well get somebody locally that says, hey, let me help you set this up.
1: Because that can be kind of complex, can't it, uh, setting like program- – because like, I, I think some people think, you know, you buy a scanner, it, it comes, you plug it in, you turn it on, and it does what it's supposed to do. But a lot of them need to be programmed based on what you're looking to monitor, correct?
0: That, that's correct. Now, there is one scanner – I'll, I'll go ahead and mention this uh, – that just came out that I'm really excited about. It's called the at Home Patrol, and they've really redefined what the scanner is. When you buy that scanner, it actually has every frequency – in the nation, already in it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it doesn't even look like a traditional scanner. It has a touch screen, almost like a smartphone. And you put there, and you put in the zip code, and it loads up. And you're ready to oh. go.
1: Oh, I'm going to have to get one.
0: And uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's neat. And there's even an optional GPS module. And say you're driving from, from your home to Dallas, you can put it in the car with the GPS. And as you move, it will adjust automatically to all the local areas.
1: That is one of the coolest things that I've ever heard again. And the the name of that unit is the Uniden Home Patrol.
0: Home Patrol. And uh, they've got – you can buy it, and then there's actually – it comes set up for a basic user, and there's actually, I believe they call it like an expert mode upgrade to the firmware, and you can pay a little extra as you get more into this if you want to get that and be more advanced in programming it yourself. But they've really revolutionized it, and it's almost like – it's like a smartphone now. There's firmware upgrades that come out. You plug it in. You get new features. Awesome. And I expect in 10 years all scanners will be like that. Instead of the traditional little display with a bunch of buttons, it'll be a touchscreen.
1: Yeah, I think if it's electronic and it does more than turn your bread into toast, that's pretty much what everything's going to be going forward.
0: Yeah, I, I believe so also. And uh, if I had to recommend to anybody one particular uh, scanner to get, that unit in Home Patrol would be uh, the one. It, it's It does cost a good bit more than a lot of the others, but it will do everything. And uh, especially, like, if somebody's in a bug out situation and you're having to move, you can look and say, okay, I'm, you know, I leave here and I end up in Knoxville, Tennessee. You know, 30 seconds later, I can be listening to what's going on in Knoxville, which is a huge, huge uh, change from what it used to be on scanners.
1: Yeah, I'm pulling this up, and then, like, they sell them through Depot.com, like, $500. Bucks. Uh, Scanner Master sells them for, like, 490 So it's about a $500 product, but it sounds like there's a reason for it.
0: Yeah, uh, and it's, and I, I really like the upgrade ability that Uniden plans to stay on this and they've already issued a couple of firmware updates, whereas if you bought some of the older scanners, what you bought was what you bought. And now, was,
1: isn't there going to be a problem with some of the older scanners due to this thing, this narrow, m- narrow banding
0: mandate yeah. coming out next year? And what narrow banding is, is the FCC 10 years ago told all radio users, alright, you're using a wide bandwidth here. By January 1st, 2013, we want you to cut your bandwidth in half so we can put twice as many users on the radio spectrum. And they gave all the businesses, municipalities, and everybody else 10 years to comply with it. And right now, I think about 25% of them have because a lot of them said, well, we'll wait till we're closer. And we got closer to 2013, and all of a sudden, we had an economic downturn, tax revenues cut off, and nobody wanted to buy new radios. So there's a mad scramble on a lot of these people to, to upgrade now, but what's gonna happen is, if you have an older scanner that won't do the, the, uh, tighter bandwidth, uh, on the programming, when they switch, you'll notice the audio is way down, you'll have to turn your scanner up louder. And that's all you'll notice at first, but the minute the FCC issues a new license for that new channel they were able to create in between two old ones, you're gonna get interference on it. So, mm-hmm. A lot and then the
1: person that's still broadcasting under the wideband is going to be in violation.
0: Yeah, and I mean the FCC has already said there are going to be no exceptions, and it's a pretty big fine. So you're Yeah, and
1: it, unlike a lot of people that mess around with off-banding and stuff like that, it, this is a frequency that somebody's going to be using and somebody's going to be bitching about, and it ain't going to last for long.
0: Yeah, and uh, you're going to find out just how responsible some of your local governments were when, when you find out how many of them are scrambling right now and... and uh, <laughs> Anakin to do it.
1: The only thing I'll say in their defense is when you hear the term unfunded mandate, folks, that's exactly what an unfunded mandate is. They'll tell the local government thou shalt, and they shall, pro- but but they won't provide any funding for it to be
0: done. Yep, um, that's, so that's, that's very true.
1: But at, at, you know what? What I what I look at as functions of the federal government are critical infrastructure. So this is actually one of the places where I think they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. So anyone that thinks I'm too hard on government, I've just said that this is something they're supposed to be doing. And occasionally I'm actually kind of uh, understanding. What we had you on really to talk about, though, Tim, today was ham radio. So I think a lot of people hear ham radio and they think of like the, you know, the old 1950s shows with the guy with like the two big old dials, and they're making all these sounds and this big giant antenna on his roof and all, and that's what hand, like glasses are 17 inches thick or whatever. But that's not really what ham radio is all about. Can
0: you tell us just kind of what is ham radio? Uh, Ham radio is it's considered a service by the FCC, and it's actually a lot of the services uh, established by international treaties. And when you think of a traditional radio service most people are familiar with, like CB or MURS or FRS, it's one set of frequencies in one specific little band, whereas ham radio has a whole bunch of different chunks of the uh electromagnetic spectrum, so we've got, you know, one band that's right above the AM broadcast band. We've got them all through the shortwave bands. We've got VHF. We've got UHF, and you can pick and choose whatever you want to use, and you can almost do anything you want to in those bands, so it. A lot of it is good for prep, and then there's a lot of people that do a lot of other things. There are actually ham radio satellites in orbit right now that hams can use to talk to each other, uh, built and designed and funded by hams, and then uh, they actually pay for the launch. There are uh, ham radio repeaters a lot of people might be familiar with locally. There are people that do a contest on the radio a lot of times to get on the air and see uh, how many people they can contact in 24 hours across the world. Uh, So it's a whole service with a whole lot of stuff, and what you can do with prepping just takes a little bit of that because a lot of it isn't applicable, but a lot of it is. So you end up with a lot of stuff, and the the FCC established it uh, as a service, and one of the justifications is to provide a trained pool of uh, radio operators in event of national emergency.
1: So it really is a civil defense service on some levels.
0: Yeah, it is, and there's actually what they call RACES, R-A-C-E-E-S, which is Radio Amateur Communications Emergency Service, which is a civil defense portion. And then there's also ARIES, which is uh, Amateur Radio Emergency Service. And a lot of the areas you will have uh, hams that volunteer with the local governments to uh, provide backup communications because when nothing else works, the hams can usually still get through.
1: So this narrow banding thing that we were talking about with scanners is that going to affect hams at all?
0: Uh, no, because okay. ham radio is pretty much left to its own devices by the FCC. It's the only service where they they are a lot more hands off because they expect hams to go out and experiment and all that. If a hams, if hams want to use the narrow band narrow bandwidth, there's nothing stopping them. Gotcha. But we pretty much uh, like the band plans used are all. Uh, gentlemen's agreements for the most part and say uh on the ham repeaters when you want to put up a ham repeater you go to your frequency coordinator who's a volunteer who says okay here's an open frequency and you can use this and the only time the fcc will step in is if there are two repeaters up they'll say well did you who coordinated and they'll give precedence to them but it's all pretty much done uh by hams themselves and self-policed
1: okay so um you kind of sort of answered this, but what makes ham radio so much more versatile and reliable than other radio services? Better than CB, or more versatile than CB, or or mirrors, or uh, family radio, or, or what have you? Uh,
0: the first thing is that hams are uh, pretty much self-trained operators who know how the radio works. Uh, say you know, say you've got hams doing backup for the local uh, police department if their communication stop. If if that police officer's radio stopped, he he knows, change the battery. If it doesn't work, call the technician, whereas the hams have learned, you know, well, you know, I can build an antenna from coat hangers, or I can, you know, here's – maybe this isn't why it's working, and they can troubleshoot it. And, you know, if you give a ham his radio a a 12-volt battery he digs out of a car, he can make contact with somebody. Uh, one of the other things is the access to multiple bands that I spoke about. We can pick and choose which one is right for the situation. If I need to talk across town, I would use what's the 2-meter band in the VHF range. But if I need to talk uh, across the state, I might use the 40- or 80-meter band down in the shortwave range. Whereas, say, with CB, you know, that used to be actually the 11-meter ham band, which is actually one of the worst places to put a communications band because, uh hams have the adjacent 10-meter band, and they only pretty much use it as a fun band. There's, nobody does anything if, if it's critical on, on that band because it's not reliable enough for long-term communications. But at the same time, the antennas are so big that it's uh, more cumbersome for local communications. You can't really have reliable handhelds and everything. So we can pick the right band. And uh the last thing is it's not channelized. Like I mentioned, you know, CB has 40 channels, mirrors. Whereas hams, you're pretty much dialing up anywhere in that frequency, so you've got a lot more uh, spectrum to work with.
1: Yeah, I don't think people realize that. Like between, you know, let me go CB between like channel twenty one and twenty two. There's a whole plethora of frequencies in between those two channels that have been set as kind of the midpoint that to create enough separation between twenty and and twenty one and uh, twenty two, so that someone on twenty one is not interfering with somebody on twenty two. If, if everybody does what they're supposed to do, anyway.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's one of the things – and it's also one of the unique things about the amateur radio service. No other radio service is permitted to have radios where you can just tune to whatever frequency you want. Um, In fact, it's actually illegal for a, a company like Motorola to sell a radio to a police department where the police officer can reprogram it without the use of special software. Yeah, uh, because uh, when they used to, when they first came out with something like that, you know, every, every group of cops wanted their own private channel, so they made one up, put it in there, and now they're, you know, interfering with something else. So the, the, the hams are the only ones that actually get that kind of freedom to adjust anywhere in their spectrum to use.
1: And I think that's partly because it's non-commercial use, and if you if you are a ham and you are being interfered with by another ham operator. you have complete freedom then to just kind of wander into some other place with whoever you're trying to make contact with.
0: Yep, that's correct. And there are certain things set up, uh, conventions, once again, the gentleman's agreement. Like if I'm on the two-meter van, um, if I'm in an area and I don't know any of the local repeaters, the national calling frequency every ham knows is 146.52 megahertz. And I can be in just about any strange town and throw out my call sign on there and usually talk to somebody. Okay, And it's also one of those that say something happened that the repeaters were down. Everybody normally gravitates to that one frequency and uh, uses it because they know that's the one everybody listens to.
1: Gotcha. And if you were new to an area and you wanted to know if there's some repeaters around or something like that, then you could use that for, let's say, local intelligence and... So hopefully another another operator would say hey yeah we've got a local repeater and here's how do you get to it or what have you
0: oh absolutely and and like when i travel i've got a, there's a little guide that's about to pack the size of a pack of cigarettes that lists all the repeaters nationwide but if i didn't have that that's exactly how i would go about it
1: very very cool so what kind of communications are possible what can we actually do with ham radio um, that you know
0: there's there's a whole lot of stuff we can do uh the first thing is you would choose your right band. Like I mentioned HF or shortwave. If I want to talk long distance, say I'm I'm on there and I've got a friend in Pennsylvania and I need to know he's okay, I, I would use that. And if I'm local, I would use the VHF or uh, UHF bands. Um, you could do, of course, voice that everybody's familiar with, you know, straight out talking to each other. And there's analog voice, which is the more traditional. And now there's a lot of digital voice, and there's a lot of digital voice modes out there uh, that can talk to each other. And it uh, like I, like I said before, it basically encodes the voice into a digital format and sends it over. Um, there are some digital modes, especially on uh, your HF bands. There's one's called PSK31, which uh, it looks very close to, almost like if you're in an online chat room, except you're doing it over the air. So you're sitting there typing, and somebody on the other end actually sees what you're typing on your keyboard as it comes up in real time. And one of the advantages of that is that it uses much narrower bandwidth, so for, for the same amount of power, you can usually get more reliable and longer range communications. and then there are uh, there's a service called WinLink, which essentially does email over the airwaves, and people set their radios up with their computers attached, and you type out an email say, "I wanted to send an email to Jack Spirico. I would type it out. Computer would interface with the radio, send it out, and if it couldn't pick up Jack, it would send it to somebody else's, like two or three others. And it would essentially go until it gets to you. So you've got uh, basically an email system that doesn't rely on the internet infrastructure. It's only over the air with individual hams that have set their stations up.
1: Now, can that be used to, let's say, get to an internet gateway? So if the internet's only down locally, and I don't have ham, but you wanted to email me. Can you basically hit some kind of the gate that will eventually email me even if I'm on regular internet service, assuming I have internet?
0: Yes, you can. And, and those yeah. are set up. And you have a lot of people that, uh, are on ships that use this. A lot of the pleasure boaters that go out in, you know, into the area where there's no other communications, that's exactly how they keep in touch with friends and family back home, is they know how to send them the email. Uh, there's specific headers you put into it when you send it out, and it'll come to them.
1: Awesome, awesome. Now, I get people that tell me, you know what, I think ham radio is great. Anybody can buy it. Not everybody can use it. But if the shit hits the fan, it won't matter. And I've got a couple of them put away. I basically know how they work, and that's good enough. I think if you're going to rely on ham, you should probably go ahead and get a license and get experienced with it. What do you think?
0: Uh, I I fully agree. I, I tell people, you know, Saying I'm going to buy a radio and I'll put it away, and I say that's like buying a pistol and never taking it to the range and shooting it, or uh, buying one of these seed banks but never planting a garden and knowing if you can actually make anything grow. Uh, when you need it the worst is not the time to learn. Yeah, mm, agreed. And, great. and uh, you know, there's some. You know, I've got extra radios and stuff that I've accumulated because I'm a pack rat that I don't always use. But and. Getting on and the other part of it also is getting on the air and networking and knowing who's in your local area, because say you've got this this great local repeater and it's already got backup power, solar and wind, like a lot of them do. But if you don't use it, you don't know what the coverage area is, and you know you might get on. Think well, I'll use this when I'm down here, but then you get down there and realize you're in a, in a shadow where you can't use it in the place you'd plan to, and then you'd have to find work ways around that. Uh, one of the ways that you would learn to do it, like they've got a thing called crossband repeat where if I've got a dual band radio in my car, I can set it to crossband repeat and it basically becomes a small repeater station from my handheld. So say I've learned that, well, I can reach this from my car with my 50 watt radio. I can't reach it from my 5 watt radio from my handheld. I can set it up so that I transmit with my handheld, it bounces through the car and to the uh, big repeater. And, and, I, and
1: that's an example of something right there. That just about anybody else in the world doing it, it would be completely illegal.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Now some of the <laughs> uh, police departments have them set up. Uh, some of the highway patrols have them set up, and they, they've gone through the special licensing. But I've actually got that at home because my home is in kind of a kind of a low spot where my handhelds can't get out, but my mobiles or my base stations can. So I can be within five miles of my house with that handheld radio and still talk out, you know, I can hit uh, the Mount Mitchell repeater, which is near here, which is at 6,600 feet above sea level, and be talking uh, to people anywhere from Knoxville, Tennessee to Charlotte, North Carolina off my handheld. Go
1: go to my PC for your radio.
0: Yeah, it it (laughs) is. You're basically
1: using your base station via your handheld.
0: Yeah, it it is. And and unless you get the stuff out and and experiment with it, you're not going to be able to set that kind of stuff up right when you need it.
1: So a person that listens to all this and this all sounds great. it also sounds over my head <laughs> uh How do they get started
0: um there's several different ways to get started uh you have to take the test to get licensed you there are several different ways to get into it um if there are ha- local ham radio clubs all over the country. One of the things you could do is uh go to the ARRL website which is american radio relay league and Look there and find a club and see if there's one local and contact them and say, "Do you have resources or classes for new hams that are getting started? I know we've done several here with my local club we've done some classes that were like a cram class where you had to study in advance and then we came in taught you for ten hours and you got the test and we've done some that were over the course of six weeks uh, one night for about two hours. Um, there are some online classes and I've, I've sent you a link to one of the ones that i really I really like that you pay them about 20 bucks, and they give you an outstanding resource of how to, how to learn. Or you can buy the study guide. There are several study guides published. And one of the things about the test is all the questions and answers from the test are actually published in advance for each one. The technician test, there are about 360 possible questions and answers that your 35-question test is made up from. So when you get these study guides or these classes online or you go online to take a practice test, you're actually seeing the real questions and answers that you will see on the test when you go to take it.
1: Uh, So So a guy like me could probably read the 250 questions and answers and then take the test and pass it.
0: Yeah, and uh, (laughs) I've known a lot of my friends that actually sat sat down and took practice tests, and once they were passing the practice test well enough, they sat down and took the test. And when it's time to give the test... uh, Once again, you can contact the local club or the ARRL website. will have a list of where tests are. And it'll also have a list of hamfests, which are like gun shows for ham radio. And at every hamfest, they do the test, And the tests are actually a good example of how I wish government worked better because it used to be you had to travel to an FCC office and take the test in front of an FCC examiner. So say I was here in North Carolina. I had to go to Atlanta to take the test. And the HAMS petitioned the FCC and said, let us take this over. And what happens now is HAMS are certified by what they call volunteer examiner coordinators to be volunteer examiners. And we can sit down with three volunteer examiners and administer the test and send the results to the FCC. And it actually gets input into the computer at the FCC by a volunteer. So actually no government employee actually is involved in the process anymore. It's strictly volunteer basis. And your only cost is uh the volunteer examiners will charge between ten and fifteen dollars and they they a hundred percent of that money goes toward their expenses for administering the test. And after that the FCC will issue your license and it's good for ten years and to renew it all you have to do is say, Hey, I'm not dead, uh renew my license for ten years.
1: Okay, now there's there's different levels of license. If I remember right, there's three. Uh-huh. Uh, who needs what, and do you have to learn Morse code to be a ham? Uh,
0: there's no Morse code test anymore. Now it's Morse code is still used, and uh, it's a good skill to learn if you want to. But uh, there is no more tests. That used to be the test was actually required by the treaties that established the the different bands and everything uh, in the amateur radio service. And once the treaties were amended, uh, that requirement went away. But your basic entry-level license is called the Technician license, and it gives you access to all the VHF and UHF bands, uh, up to 1500 watts of power if you want to run that much. Uh, an interesting thing on that is and included in that is the 2.4 gigahertz band, which is actually also where your uh, Wi-Fi is located if you use wireless on your computer. So some hams are running very high-powered uh, wireless, and it can actually beam a wireless signal many miles. Uh, which is pretty fun. But the uh, technician license will get you all that. So if you want to just talk locally, say you've got a group of people and you all want to be able to communicate reliably locally within 25, 30, 50 miles, a technician level license will cover every one of you. Uh, we've had here locally uh Hams as young as eight pass the test for the technician license. It's uh, it's designed to be entry level. Basically the, the basic stuff on the test is just enough so you know how to get on the air, how to look at what your radio's doing, and how to follow uh, the rules that involve it. Your next step up is the uh, general class license. And the biggest thing that adds is voice access on the uh, the HF bands, the shortwave bands, so you can talk worldwide. Now if you want to talk all over the world, or if I want to talk across the state of North Carolina, or if I wanted to talk to you in Hot Springs, uh, reliably without anything in between, uh, that's what both, both you and I would need. And there is a third class called the extra, which is, it basically just gives you a little bit more bandwidth on the HF bands. And from a prep standpoint, the extra is really, uh, a bridge further than you need to cross. What I've, ha- I've had a lot of local folks do and they'll, they'll get together in a little group and say, well, we all want to get our technician license, and we're going to have three or four people we're going to designate as our experts who, who are really into this, and they're going to get their general license. So they'll be able to talk long distance, and then they can relay the stuff to us closer, and that seems to be a pretty good setup.
1: Now, how much more difficult is it to move from technician to general? Is a lot more study? Is a lot more knowledge? Or is it is it a fairly easy bridge to cross?
0: Um, it's it's actually not that bad. You can study for it in the same fashion. Uh, the extra is the hardest one by far. But we've actually had a – I'm pretty active over on the ham radio forum over on AR15.com. And we've had guys that walked in uh, with no license – uh, to a test section and passed both exams in one sitting and walked out with their general interest okay. study. And, in fact, that's a great resource uh over there on, at the Ham Radio Forum on AR15.com because they've got some really good threads that will tutor you all the way through getting your license. And they've had, uh I believe, over a 100 new hams, almost all of them uh, into it uh, because of prepping, uh get their license off the study guys they put up there.
1: Now, I've had some people that basically say when it comes to getting a ham radio license, I I just don't want another damn thing with my name on it registered with the government uh, with privacy concerns. What are are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, there is something to keep in mind. When you become a ham, it is public record, and and your name and uh, everything will be published uh, you know, in the public record. But one of the things you can do is there is no requirement that your physical address where you live be the address you use. It only has to be an address where you're capable of getting mail. So you can have a P.O. box or you can have one of these uh, UPS store mail drop boxes. Uh, I know people that actually get their their stuff sent to work. Uh, The only requirement is it has to be a place where the postal service delivers and that you get the mail if the FCC wants to send you something.
1: Well, that's definitely a good thing. I think the main reason it has to be public record is when some clown gets on the air and says, you know, this is KB10685 or something and starts acting like an ass clown, um and he's, he's just made up his own sign or whatever, you, you can find out that that's an unauthorized use or if somebody is legitimately has a call, somebody is causing problems, then that can be traced as well.
0: That, that, that's exactly it. And, uh, you can go online and about it every, Every month, the FCC sends out about a dozen different warning letters to people that are uh, making an ass of themselves on the air for one reason or another, <laughs> and uh, that's the that's the biggest reason is they want to be able to send you that knock it off letter. And you have uh, a lot of people out there that say, "Well, I don't want to be on any list," and, and I can understand that. There are I, I looked it up uh, right now about seven hundred five thousand licensed hams in this country. So that's an awful big list, and the list is actually growing. A lot of people think ham radio is dying out, but in 1999 it was about 675,000. And
1: Yeah, and right now, from what we've just learned, if you posted something about swine flu on friggin' Facebook, you're probably on more lists than you'd get on from being in a ham radio club anyway.
0: Well, that's true, and then my philosophy <laughs> on lists has always been I just want to make the list as big as possible to scare them. <laughs> I like that.
1: I like that. So one of the things a lot of people want to do is they're worried about privacy issues from another way, and they want to do encryption. Uh, and, and can you do that, and is it even legal? Because, I, I, I mean, my instinct from as an outsider would be no. I mean, I know that you know, speaking in any kind of actual code or whatever might be lightly enforced, but totally not okay on CB. Yeah. Uh, it's Not what it's designed for.
0: Encryption on ham radio is prohibited. However, there are some ways that you can't have very good levels of privacy. Um I mentioned earlier the digital modes where instead of an analog signal, the radio sends out a digital signal where it's it's a new phase in ham radio and there are a lot of different manufacturers doing their own thing with it. And they're not compatible with each other for the most part. And say I picked up uh, a company called Elinco that makes some radios that have an optional digital board. Well no other radio works with an elenco digital board. So if I and my buddy have elenco digital boards no scanner can listen to us. No other ham radio can listen to us. You would have to have the exact same model radio we've got and know the exact frequency we're on. So that is a a pretty reasonable level. It's not encryption. It's it's what I call security through obscurity <laughs> because you're using something that just nobody has that they can listen to.
1: Yeah. I mean, my other thought was when you were talking about being able to basically – what comes out to is it, text messaging um, – Unless the person was set up for that, they wouldn't, you know, somebody with a scanner is not going to be able to, to intercept and understand that.
0: Oh yeah, and uh, there are several of the radios out there now that have uh, organic text message capability even on the handheld radios actually. So a lot of that stuff is coming out more and more to, uh, as the technology increases, the scanners can't listen and even, like I said, the hams that don't have the exact same model radios are going to be there, and they're going to say, well, you know, I don't know what that is. You know, Or they'll, they'll hear it and they'll say, well, that's some sort of digital mode, but I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. Now, my
1: other thought is, you know, there's a, a peacetime security and wartime security, for instance. So if we were in a, a breakdown situation, and you and I were using HAM to communicate with each other, one of the simplest methods we could use is a, a, a rapid switch between frequencies that was predetermined. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're trying to chase us around, and we have a predetermined, that you know, and I guess there is a little bit of encoded message here, but if we were to start out with protocol one and we had both predetermined what that was, uh, after two transmissions we jump to a completely different frequency. I, I think it'd be impossible to try to chase that conversation without knowing what that was, especially if you go way up and down uh, your, your your available frequencies.
0: Oh yeah, there, there's a lot of ways you can you can use the system where it, it stays legal, but you still uh, like unless somebody was bound and determined to listen to you and we wanted to spend, you know, seventy, eighty thousand dollars in professional monitoring gear to, you know, come target just you. It's it's gonna be, you know, reasonably private.
1: And I guess we could also do things like I could pick a transmit frequency that you know to receive on, and you could pick a transmit frequency that I knew to receive on and somebody that would blundered into it would only get half the conversation. Yep.
0: Yeah. And, and that that's essentially how a ham repeater works is it transmits on one frequency and Uh, receives on the other and the radios are actually set up to do that organically for the repeaters so if you set it up like it was a repeater but the other person was doing the offset uh, the only disadvantage there is once you get more once you try to add a third person to the mix it gets more complicated sure
1: absolutely I'm just trying I'm just thinking you know a little bit here on uh, like I said that wartime security if you want to call it that where you have to get a little bit creative some ways that you can you can do it with what's available
0: oh yeah. yeah
1: So, what kind like, if somebody wants to get into this, I, I mean, one of the things I've looked at is this stuff can get really expensive really fast. So, if somebody's getting started out, they're going to take that, that technician or maybe even that general license test and, and get passed with it. What kind of radio should they start out with and, and what should they stay the hell away from?
0: Uh, my recommendation for a new ham is usually get a, uh, two meter mobile radio or a dual band mobile radio and set up where you can use it as both in your vehicle and as a base station in your home and if you just put a quick release on the power cord you can move it from your vehicle to your home pretty quickly uh i don't recommend a handheld for your first radio because you're a lot more limited on power which is going to limit your range and limit a lot of what you can do with it whereas the mobile will give you a lot more time to use it and you can use it uh when you're driving which is one of the big things that uh and that's a lot of my radio time is I've got a pretty good commute to work back and forth, so I get on the radio and I got a pretty regular bunch of guys, and we talk about you know, usually about guns or something else, and uh, it passes the drive time, but if you've got a handheld, it's a lot more cumbersome to use in the vehicle and you can set up uh some of the basic almost all the basic two meter only radios are under two hundred dollars right now, okay, and then you will need a twelve volt power supply if you use it in your home uh Mine are set up on some deep cycle batteries with a Harbor Freight solar panel. So I've got you know organic uh, off the grid on my radios already. And you'll need an antenna. And you can build an antenna for $3 worth of materials. You can find plans all over the Internet on how to build your own antenna if you want to. Uh, The very first 2-meter ham radio antenna I built was made from old coat hangers. Hmm. And uh, six years later, it's still up and talking. Oh, wow. (laughs) <laughs> about twelve years later now, yeah, and uh, it' very simple to do that stuff, and you and you learn when you're doing it. And then, if down the road a tornado comes and your antenna gets ripped off, you'll say, "Hey, I know how to whip this up and fix it."
1: Plus, so you're out three bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about antennas for your vehicles with your mobile?
0: Um, there are a whole host of them out there. You can get uh there. You can get mag mounts. You can get the ones where you have to drill to put it in, like the public safety ones. You can get ones that are trunk lid mounts. Uh I don't usually build my own mobile antennas just because you know, I can get online and buy one for $20 and it's almost not worth the effort.
1: Sure. sure. That and then sense.
0: they've got, if you wanted to get more into it and you, you said, well, I want to be able to do the HF and everything, they've got some of what are often referred to as the DC to daylight radios where it's an all-in-one rig that will do your VHF, your UHF, your shortwave and everything in... uh a very small package, you know, some of them smaller than a shoebox. And if you wanted to make a more substantial thing, plunge into it, you can get one of these radios. And you're looking in the 800 to $1,200 range, but you buy one radio and you're done with all of it. And then this one, if you start out as a technician, you've got your VHF and UHF bands in there you can use. And then if you happen to upgrade later to general, you've got your shortwave. If you don't upgrade, you've got the radio and if it's an emergency, uh, one of the things that on on the ham rules is in an emergency anything goes. You can use the, use what assets you've got. Okay. Same thing. I recommend though you're better off if you go ahead and upgrade and practice talking on the shortwave bands because there's there's a bit of a finesse into getting the communication through that you that you don't learn if you're not playing with it.
1: Yeah, you know, on that note, I was talking to some guys, and they were talking about the whole thing of getting one guy that's going to be a ham, and then they're going to get these ham radios for their group, and if there's some kind of breakdown and they have to go out around their property and patrol and all, they can use their ham radios, and and, and they were a little bit ridiculous. They were a little bit into the Doomsday Prepper world or maybe Red Patriots one too many times or something, but they want to be able to make 15-mile patrols during a total breakdown and have communications, and my thought was you probably won't be going 15 miles, but <laughs> if you let, let's entertain the question, my thought was you guys are better off either go ahead and all get your licenses or work with, you know, uh mirrors or or, or C B or something like that so that you guys can actually train right now on your property and, and slightly off your property because handing a guy a ham radio that doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground in that type of a situation isn't going to do him a lot of good.
0: Yep. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And and fifteen miles is doable if you if you have the right equipment and you've tested the right equipment and everybody knows how to use it. Uh, if somebody had a Good base station, you know, wherever your your base was, with a good high in, high, high antenna set up, and you had your radios properly set up. Uh, one of the things you want to do if you get handhelds is they sell an aftermarket antenna that's uh, probably twice as long as most of the stock antennas, and those will make a huge difference. But you have to get out and train with it because because if you're just handing out a radio and saying go 15 miles, you might get out to 12 and say this doesn't work.
1: Well, it gets better, Tim, because they wanted to do their 15 mile patrols on foot. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, and have they done that? Yeah, I won't even get into the physical. Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> they actually got 15 miles on. Foot. That's a good point. My my point was if if you're in a total breakdown and you're 15 miles from base on foot, you've got other problems. Yeah, <laughs> it's like when, when I asked you about the prep vehicles one time, and you and you're, we were talking about the Rokin motorcycle. And you said, basically, if I can't get in there with, uh, with a cut V or a Jeep or a four-wheeler, maybe I don't need to be going there in the yep. first place.
0: If I get in there and get hurt, who's going to come get me? <laughs> who's going to carry you out? Yep. If they, even if
1: they have a rope, are they going to drag you? Mm-hmm. And we,
0: believe me, I'm up here in the mountains, and our local rescue squad sees that all the time. People get in the worst places, get hurt, and then call, and they have to really bust their butts getting in and get some of these these idiots out of, of these situations. Yeah. Uh, Back on
1: the radios and I asked you what to start with. Uh huh. Is there anything you should like stay the hell away from?
0: Um for your first radio, well like there there are some things like, you know, I'm I'm kind of a bit weird, so I like playing with old surplus police radios, old Motorola's and all that and retune them to the ham bands. Don't do that on your first one. And I would recommend sticking with one of the more established name brands in the ham world, either Kenwood, ICOM, Yezu, or Alinco, because you know you're gonna get the factory the backup and the support, and you're going to be able to find anything you need, and there's a lot of documentation on them. Um, used gear, uh, if I bought used gear, I would buy it on one of the forums like QRZ or eHAM that are online where hams post using their call sign so you actually know who you're buying from and it's not this anonymity of eBay where, where somebody might pawn off something that's bad. Uh, the hams, because they're using their call sign, you know who everybody is. Tend to be pretty straightforward on selling gear. They're not going to try to sell you something that's junk. But, uh, if you can afford it, I would, I would go with new out of the box for your first radio. Just so when you get it, you know it's right. You know, if you're brand new to it and you get a used radio and something's wrong, you may not understand, well, this isn't quite what it's supposed to be doing here.
1: You might not know that it's not right, or what, you'll know something's right, not right, but you don't know what it is because somebody might have tinkered with it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There are some, uh, Chinese brand radios out there now, the Waxons, and a couple other ones that are popping up on eBay really cheap. For what they are, they're a good deal. Uh, I got questions about the durability on them, and uh, so far I've played with a few. The factory support seems to be okay, but with some of these fly-by-night brands, sometimes that can go away the next day.
1: Sure. I've got some little pux things that I have programmed into the, uh, the merge frequencies. Uh-huh um so i'm able to use them with my my uh my, my mirror security system Uh but they also i have some of the ham frequencies in it, and we're about 45 miles from a little rock repeater and, and i'm able to pick up and i won't say exactly how i know but i could transmit from that little guy and hit that that repeater out there and talk to those guys over in little rock but i'm also sitting at like 980 feet of elevation
0: yeah and that makes a good difference uh elevation makes a good difference and talk about repeaters that Reminded me of something I forgot to put put down to talk to you about. But there's also a thing called a IRLP and Echolink, where a lot of the ham repeaters now are actually linked via the Internet. So you can get on one of your local repeaters that's linked, hit the code in on on the keypad on your radio, and pull up a, a repeater near me. And then you could talk to me. We would be on our handheld radios with the Internet providing the backbone. And as long okay. as the Internet's working – uh, you can actually do that worldwide on them. I've, I've been going down the road and had conversations with the gentleman in Australia before who who keyed up the local repeater.
1: We've been having a lot of fun on Zello. I don't know if you've got on there and played with it at all, but uh, a lot of times in the morning when I'm driving in, I'll jump on there, and it's an Internet backbone-based radio service that kind of works like the old Nextel's. But anybody can set up a channel. And this is absolutely not a ham thing, but it is really cool. And, of course, if the Internet goes down or you don't have an Internet connection, you're hosed, and you need a data connection. So you, if you drop the edge, you're off of it. But it is a really cool way to get in touch with people just about anywhere.
0: Yeah, I, I played with it a little bit. And Zillow, there's a lot of it that is uh, similar to how ham works. Now, imagine the utility of Zello. But with no backbone to fail, if you still wanted to talk to people, it's only you with your radio and him with his radio, and no infrastructure in the middle to fail to leave you in the dark. And that that'll give you a good idea of what makes ham uh, so good on as far as reliability when things are bad. Awesome. So people
1: that are like ready to like get started, at least research this more, determine if it's for them. You got any resources you want to maybe leave them with?
0: Sure. Uh- for the, for the scanner stuff, uh, radioreference.com is, like I said, the world's best scanner resource. I would advise people, don't flood and just ask questions in there. Uh, go read some first. Um, ARRL.org is American Radio Relay League. and that they're, For those familiar with the, the NRA, they basically do for ham radio what the NRA does for gun owners. Um, HamradioLicenseExam.com is, is a good web class. Uh, QRZ.com is a website full of ham radio forums. Uh, you can find uh, used gear for sale there. They've got practice tests for people that want to take a practice test. And the last one, uh, if you go to the ham radio forum, uh, either on your website or on AR15.com, both of them have a lot of good, helpful people. And, in fact, uh, I'll go uh, when we air this show and I'll go ahead and start a thread for people on your forum who want to do a question and answer if they've got any uh, questions for me on it.
1: Awesome! Awesome! And folks, make sure you, you know you can put, post questions in the uh, the the, forum, the the show notes. Uh, on the blog as well for Tim or for myself on this episode or any episode. And I will, of course, include all of those references that, uh, Tim left in the show notes. So if you're driving down the road listening to this with your iPod plugged in or out in your garden with your earbuds in, don't, uh, don't freak out on the, uh, references. I always put those in the show notes. And and with that, Tim, man, thanks for, thanks for being on today. This is a great episode. It's very clear that you have a lot of experience with this and you explain it in a very easy to understand way. Uh, So I appreciate you taking the time to be on here with us.
0: Well, thanks for having me on, Jack. I I always enjoy your show, so I'm glad to be a part of it.
1: And, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Tim Glantz, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.